please turn with me to James chapter 3. Last week we covered verses 1 through, we could say, 6a, and so we will pick up there today. So we're going to start reading in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of a reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? The snow spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, that the tongue is an amazing thing. Father, you actually spoke the world into existence. And you have given us the ability to speak. And we see some some serious and sobering things here in James about our speech. Father, help us to receive your word with meekness this day. And help us to be leaning upon Christ, trusting in Christ. Father, may these words be used as a tool to examine our hearts, to examine our faith. Oh God, help us to know our state before you. And we ask that you would save those who don't know you. That you would convict your people of our sins and of our shortcomings and that you would cause us to to hope in Christ, to trust in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, how do we look at what we are reading here? James offers us some some very serious words. And he does so tenderly. You you, you notice he, he keeps on saying, my brethren, Words of endearment. But his words are cutting. The truth here is cutting. 
So how should we look at this? In one sense, we can say as we, as we see these words, we, we, we are going to have a very real sense of our inadequacy. And we're going to have to say, I need the righteousness of Christ because I'm not good enough. But that's not the only thing here. That's true. This should show us our need for a Savior. But, but James is also going to say, my brethren, you ought to be doing better. So there's an expectation, not that we just look at this and say, I need Christ and go on sinning, but that we look at this and say, I need to do better. I need to grow. There is a standard that I need to be striving for. So as we go into this, let let us review a little bit what we covered last week, just to keep this in context. So we have transitioned from James talking about faith to talking about the tongue. James stated that faith without works is dead. And then he transitions to the tongue. And, And why is this significant? Because what comes out of our mouth is a part of our works. In other words, true faith can be heard in the speech. True faith can be seen by by what comes out of our mouth. And then also we need to consider what James said in chapter 1, verse 26. If, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is useless. This is another way of James saying that that our faith or our lack of faith can be seen by our words. And so what headings did we cover last week? First, we we talked about the sinful disposition of the tongue, and we looked at this in verses 1 and 2. And I'll read it again. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James says we all sin in many different ways. And the tongue is so hard to control that if you, can, if you cannot sin with your tongue, then you can control your entire body. And we we saw that that David understood the sinful disposition of his tongue. He said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. David said, I know that I will sin with my tongue. Put a muzzle over my mouth. And then Proverbs 10.19 tells us what? In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In other words, if if there's a lot of words coming out of our mouths, oftentimes sin will be there as well. Because the tongue is prone to sin. And and James jumps into this section by, by warning us, warning those who would desire to teach. Why? Because those who teach use their tongue, which is the very thing that is so difficult to control. And there is stricter judgment. 
But as we saw last week, James is, is not just talking about teachers here. The, the, the rest of these verses are for all of us. And so James gives us another point, that the power of the tongue. And we see this in, in verses 3 through 5, and he gives us two illustrations. He says, you take a, a massive, powerful horse, and you put a little bit in its mouth, and a little kid can, can, can control that horse. The small little bit. With that great of power. And he says, consider the, the rudder of a ship. Just, just a little piece of, of vertical wood that's moved horizontally and can control a massive ship that's tossed in the waves and the wind in the sea. A very small thing controlling something so massive. And so James says, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. The point here is that although the tongue is small, it is powerful. And we looked at Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What a statement. He doesn't say death and life are in the power of the hands or of the feet. But in the power of the tongue. And then we looked at what happens when you mix something that is prone to sin and yet greatly powerful. What happens? It becomes destructive. And so our third heading was the destructive nature of the tongue. And we saw this in verses 5 and 6. James says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. Just a little fire. We talked about the the great Chicago fire. Supposedly started by a lantern being kicked over in a barn. Just a little flame. And when it was all said and done, 17,500 buildings burned down. 300 people dead. And 125,000 people homeless from a flame. And we talked about how a little spark in a forest can burn down millions of acres of forest. Difference, what would happen today if you went home and you saw a fire in the window of your home? You would be frightened. Why? Because you know the destruction that means. You know that that flame will not stop until it is put out. Or until it runs out of fuel. You you know the the, the damage that can be done by these things. And James tells us the tongue is a fire. In a world of iniquity. What a deadly combination. What is a world of iniquity? We talked about this idea of there. It's like a. A vast world of, of sins of the tongue. There are so many different ways. And we, we talked a little bit about gossip and, and slander and, and lying and, and flattery. There's so many different ways that we can sin with our tongues that it's like an entire world of iniquity. But what happens when something is a world of iniquity? but is as dangerous and destructive as fire. 
Douglas Moo points out how rumors have been started that are easier to contain than forest fires. I'm sorry, that, that forest fires are easier to contain than these rumors. Think about this. Take a match and go and, and burn in a forest and there's this great system and the fire will be contained soon. They'll, they'll put the fire out. But, but think of the, the slander and the gossip and the rumors that have gone on from generation to generation without being able to be contained. And this is where we left off last week. And so we continue in this heading in verse 6. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Some translations use the word stain. This word means to mar or to, to impair with a flaw. Our Lord talked about this in Matthew 15 when he, he said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. In other words, the sin in our hearts come out of our mouths and they defile the whole body. John Gill said that the heart is the corrupt fountain from whence all moral defilement flows, and sinful words and actions are the impure streams which spring from thence. We are being told that what comes out of our mouth taints our entire body, defiles our entire body. And this is a problem. Why? Because what is true religion? What did James talk about before? He said religion that is pure and undefiled. He, he, he said there is a religion which is pure and undefiled. And now he's telling us that our tongues can defile our entire bodies. You see the connection there. Our religion should be pure and undefiled. But what comes out of our mouth defiles our entire body. But what else does the tongue do? He says, and it sets on fire the course of nature. Course of nature could be translated circle of life. In other words, everything in our lives, everything within our sphere of influence can be impacted by the tongue. Whereas MacArthur notes, since the tongue is able to talk about any conceivable issue, it has the power to corrupt every conceivable issue. Whatever subject it speaks of, it can damage and pervert. Consider that. Everything that you talk about can be perverted and destroyed. And yet you and I can talk about every conceivable thing. The, the, the point is that the tongue has the ability to set on fire or to destroy every single part of our lives. The tongue can destroy marriages. 
families, businesses, careers, organizations, cities and states and countries, churches. Think about what words can do to every relationship you have. How the words of a husband can can destroy his relationship with his spouse and vice versa. Think about how the words of a of a parent can can affect the child. How the words of a child can affect the parents. How our words can 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 do what? They can destroy our relationship with our coworkers, with our managers, or with our employees. There is nothing outside. There's nothing outside of this. There, there's, there's nothing that the tongue cannot destroy. And in this sense, the tongue is actually more dangerous than a fire. Why is this? Because not everything is flammable. But everything can be destroyed by the tongue. And here's the question. Why is the destructive power of the tongue so great? I mean, what is the source of this destructive power? James says, and it is set on fire by hell. Uses the word Gehenna. <clears throat> James is telling us the source of this fire. He says it is hell, and and I think that he, what he's doing here, he's he, he's saying that that the source of this fire is is Satan and his demons as the representatives of hell. Satan loves to destroy, and he loves using the words of others as tools to accomplish his mission. As we noted last week, the Greek word for for devil actually means slanderer. He loves to to slander, and he's also called what? The father of lies. As the slanderer, as the father of lies, whose work are we doing when we lie and we slander? Not the Lord's. One of the easiest ways for Satan to destroy is to get people to use their tongues for evil. What a subtle way of, of starting a little fire. It's like throwing a little match in the basement. And before you, before you notice what has happened, the building is engulfed in flames. Different Satan only needs to create one little spark of gossip or slander to, to destroy a family or a marriage or even an entire church. That's all it takes. As one person being willing to allow Satan to ignite a flame out of their mouths to destroy something. When we open our mouths and unleash our tongues, let us be sure that the words will not be tools in the hands of the slanderer. And dear friends, because the tongue is so prone to sin, and because it is so powerful, and because it is so destructive, it is difficult 
impossible to control. James says every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. I mean, what a statement. I mean, you can, you, to, to take an ox and, and make it plow. To take a horse and make it do your work. These creatures that, that could just destroy us if they wanted to. I mean, we could teach dogs. Again, I think there's something of the dominion mandate in here. We've been able to tame every type of creature. We could take a dog and, and make it sniff out drugs. And we can take a dog and, and, and use it for different things. We can take a bird and train it. We can take a Siberian tiger, 10 feet long, 660 pounds with three-inch fangs, and make it jump through a hoop. What dominion? We can take a grizzly bear and make it wrestle with a man while being so gentle that it won't hurt the man. We can take a 12,000-pound, 26-foot orca well and make it jump out of the water when we want it to. This is dominion. Man has learned to take the, the deadliest animals, the largest animals in the sea, in the air, on the land, and tame them. And James says, yet no man can tame the tongue. What a comparison. Animals usually won't bite the hand that feeds them. They don't snap at those who love. But, but how often do we do that? We don't care what your relationship is to me. I will still bite you with my tongue. James says it's untamable. One man put it this way. We have a better chance of jumping into the ocean, finding a shark, and teaching it to close its mouth when it is hungry than we do restraining our tongues when they are ready to devour. Wow. And guess what? The tongue is ready to devour. This is the very next thing James tells us. In verse 8, he says, It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. This Greek word for, for unruly carries the idea of restlessness. And as one commentator put it, it gives the, the idea of a wild animal fighting fiercely against the restraints of captivity. Think of that. You ever seen a, a wild animal recently caught in a cage and it, it just wants to get loose? It will tear up its teeth and its claws, cut itself up trying to get out of the cage. And James is saying, this is our tongue. And by the way, not only is it fighting against captivity, but it's filled with deadly poison. Like a viper in a cage, yearning to get out and, and put its venom inside of its prey. Dear friends, this is why we have the term, bite my tongue. 
and even as Christians. How often do we find ourselves wanting to say something that we know we should not say it, and there is just this, this tension inside of us saying, no, I won't say this. And for days you go on, and finally you say it. How many times have I had to confess this myself to, to my own dear wife? Sweetie, not only am I sorry for saying this, but, but I'm sorry because I knew for days that I should not say this, but I did it anyways. An un, a, a wild animal in a cage, just waiting to be released and use its venom. And so we bite our tongue. But oftentimes we fail, don't we? We, we open our mouth and we, and we let the tongue out. And, and what happens? Well, it's full of deadly poison. So it strikes like a cobra. And when we strike, we release deadly poison. What does poison do? It just it kills you, right? It goes into your bloodstream. And it just works, just does what it does, right? This is what our words do to people. It goes into their minds and their hearts. And it's like poison. Different lies and gossip and slander and backbiting, these are types of poison. And when our tongues speak these things, we are no better than serpents injecting venom into prey. Dear friends, Christians have no business using their tongues as fire and venom. But we know that we are often guilty of this, don't we? Dear friends, let me just say this is not okay. It is not okay for us to profess faith in Christ while, while burning things down and poisoning people with our tongues. And so we could say here, there's hypocrisy. That this is not consistent with the, the Christian faith. And so James says in verse 9, with our tongues we, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. What did we talk about this morning? When we consider this great and majestic God and how he has saved us, how he has even Consider our salvation before the count, before, before the before eternity, before the world existed, rather. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. And we, we talked about this great eternal covenant of redemption where the, the Godhead is, is, you know, before we're even here, before there are humans exist. The Godhead considering our salvation. And we said, what a glorious thing, and, and how this led Paul to praise God. And how we should also praise God. But here's the problem. Paul says we praise God. James, brother, says we praise God 
with one breath, and then we curse men with another. Christians have no business praising God with one breath and then injecting venom with another. Christians have no business praising God with one breath and then burning down churches and homes and families with slander, gossip, and lies. Difference how many people praise God in corporate worship on Sunday while using their tongues and their fingers as the devil's flamethrower throughout the week. James says these things ought not to be so. What does ought not mean? It's a strong negative. MacArthur notes that the idea is that there should be no place in a Christian life for duplicitous speech. It is an unacceptable and intolerable compromise of righteous, holy living. When God transformed us, he gave us the capacity for new, redeemed, holy speech. And he expects us as his children to speak only that which is holy and right. And here is our dilemma. We know what we should do. But we know what we also do, don't we? And so here's this point where where we say, I need a substitute. I know that I have not used my tongue the way that I should. And there's one who did, who offers us his righteousness. And as we pointed out last time, this is important because God says, you will be judged for every idle word you've spoken. For everything we've ever said, we will be judged. And we said, is that fair for God to judge us based upon our speech? Yes. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which means that our speech is a representation of what is in our hearts. And so we think about the words we've said. We think about the lies we've told, the slander, the gossip, the backbiting. We, we think about the things that we've burned down, the relationships we have poisoned, and we say, I need a Savior. I need righteousness that is not my own, and it is offered to us in the Gospel. That Jesus gives us His righteousness and takes upon Himself our sins. But we don't stop there. Because notice what James says. Although it is true that this shows us our need for a Savior, it is also true that Christians should not do this. He does not say, my brethren, this is the reason why we need a Savior. That's true. But it says, my brethren, these things ought not be so. It should not be happening. This is what he says. 
And so we have a dilemma. Because we profess faith in Christ. And we know that we should not do this. But we know that we do. If a person claims to have true faith, it shows in their speech true religion, James says, restrains the tongue, it bridles the tongue. And he says that faith without works is dead, and, and part of that works is, is our tongue. And so it is a contradiction to, to profess faith in Christ while, while using our tongue for evil. And so we have a warning by way of illustration. He gives us three illustrations starting in verse 11. He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? I'm pretty sure my five-year-old could answer that question. What is the answer? No, it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? What's the point here? Can an apple tree bear oranges? Well, we would say today that's a stupid question. Because if it has apples, it's an apple tree. If it has oranges, it's an orange tree. James says, okay, you get my point then. And then he says, thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. I'm sorry, I know we don't like objective truth in our day. But this is objective truth. No spring yields both salt water and fresh. Fresh, but you don't know my heart. It doesn't matter what I say. God knows my heart. No spring yields both salt water and fresh. You cannot have two types of water coming from the same source. What is the point? You will know them by their fruits. Spurgeon said, more of a man is seen in his words than in anything else belonging to him. You may look into his face and be mistaken. You may visit his house and not discover him. You may scan his business and misunderstand him. But if you hear his daily conversation, you shall soon know him. The heart babbles out its secret when the tongue is in motion. Why? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What a stern warning to us all. That if evil is constantly coming out of our mouth, it is a good indication that our hearts are evil. 
That if the stream that, that flows from your mouth is polluted, what does this mean? The source is polluted. This is what this is saying. And I know that we don't like this. We don't like things being this black and white. And we say, well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it's polluted 90% of the time, but there's a little bit of good in everyone. And so maybe it's polluted most of the time, but, <coughs> but, but it doesn't really accurately you know, depict what's in my heart. It does. This is what James is saying. It does. It depicts what is in our hearts. If you want to know your heart, just examine your speech every day. And this, dear friend, gives you a picture of what your heart is like. No Christian will ever be perfect. Is it possible to have a little bit of salt in a fresh water stream occasionally? Somehow, some way, yes. But if that's what's flowing, that's not fresh water. It's salt water. Is it possible for a good tree to have bad apples occasionally? Yes. But if nothing that comes out of the tree is good but only rotten, it's a bad tree. This is what he is saying. Dear friends, what a call to serious self-examination. That if you find that your words on a daily basis are not consistent with your profession of faith, this is a call to examine your heart. To pray with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. God knows our hearts. But but if our speech is corrupted, we better be praying like the psalmist, God, reveal to me my heart. Something is not right based upon my speech. Search me, O God, know me, reveal to me my heart. And dear friends, if we are in this situation, we had better repent and believe in Christ. Because we cannot stand before God, this holy and perfect God who will will judge justly and be condemned for, for every word we've ever spoken. This is sure damnation. But Christ is our substitute. If we would but believe in Him, we shall be saved. And God, dear friends, will will deliver us from from using our tongues as venom and fire. But what about those who truly know Christ? And you you see that there's a lot of good fruit in my life. I don't think the, the stream is polluted, but I'm struggling in this area. James says we all struggle with the tongue. This is the point. But what should we do? Confess and repent. 
For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the man need who has been defiling his whole body with his tongue? He needs to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And John says if the true believer confesses and repents, he will be cleansed. God is both faithful and just to forgive him and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And where do we go from here? I want to leave us with hope. We, we struggle with the tongue. And, and we know why, don't we? James says it's powerful. It's prone to sin. It, it's destructive. It's untamable. But, but if it's untamable, then, then how do we have hope? What did our Lord say? What is impossible? With men, it's possible with God. No man can tame the tongue, true, but God can. And this is why true religion actually bridles the tongue. Because this omnipotent God who who loves us and sanctifies us and desires us to be more like Christ will help us bridle the tongue and restrain it. And not that we will ever reach perfection. But if we are true believers, as James says, these things ought not to be so. We ought to be growing. We ought to see progress. And this is possible. Do we just say, well, it's so hard to restrain my tongue. I won't even try anymore. If I can't reach perfection, I might as well not try. Douglas Moo puts it this way. The realization that perfection is something untainable should not dampen in the least our enthusiasm to become as good as possible. We may never reach the point where the tongue is perfectly controlled, but we can surely advance a long way in using our speech to glorify God. Perfection? We strive for it. Will we reach it this side of eternity? No. But as Christians, as in every area of our life, we ought to see consistent growth We should not be the same place we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, a year ago. We should be fighting and resisting and growing. If we are in Christ, as the Apostle John says, we will bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, what happens? What happens to the vine that does not bear fruit? It's cut away. And it's good for nothing but to be burned. If we are in Christ, he will see to it that we grow. 
Again, not perfection and, and not that we don't grow at different rates. We all grow and mature at different rates, but we should see growth. Understand, dear friends, that we are no longer slaves to sin. This means that we should not let sin reign in our speech. We don't have to. We're not slaves any longer. God has given us grace to resist and to actually win battles of the tongue. So, dear friends, may we fight. May we resist the urge to sin with our tongues and with our fingers. May we even take dominion of our tongues for the glory of God, taming the untamable tongue. And may we lean on God for strength. We can't do it on our own. But may we look to Christ. And dear friends, may we never stop trusting in Christ alone for salvation because on our very best day, when we feel like we used our tongue like angels, we still need salvation from Christ. We're not good enough. But let us be praying. Let us be striving to use our tongues for the glory of of God, each and every one of us has something in our mouths that the scriptures tell us has the power of life and death. We can use this tongue to, to tear people down, to destroy relationships, to discourage our spouses and our children, or we can use it to build people up. We can use our tongues to, to tear people down or we can use our tongues to proclaim the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. What a glorious privilege we have to use these powerful tongues and may we do so for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, what a privilege. the gift of communication. And we see what, what power is in the tongue and in the great the destruction that it can cause. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for all of the times that we've used our tongue as the devil's fire, as the serpent's venom. Father, help us to resist that sin, to resist it, to fight against it, to, to bite our tongues and clamp down like a man trying to break a horse until our tongues are tamed and are used for your glory and your honor and your praise. And may we not stop looking to Christ as our righteousness, knowing that we are never good enough, but may we use our tongues to glorify the Christ that we so love and are thankful for. Help us to be like Christ in our speech. To refuse to tear people down 
but to build one another up. May we not use our tongues to spread falsehood, but may we use our tongues to proclaim the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. What a privilege that you would allow us to have part in this. Father, may we look around us at the lost and know that the gospel can save them and you have given us a tongue that has the ability to go to them and proclaim the truth to them. And may we do this in our homes, in our workplaces, in the stores we go to, with our neighbors, with everyone around us. And Father, help us to be people who are marked by having bridal tongues that the world would look at us and say, how do these people have such a restraint on their tongues? And that we would say that it's only because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.